0: Welcome to the Manaverse Podcast with your host, Tom Traplin, session number four. Guys, on today's episode, we talk with Michael Russo, the owner of Universe Games in Minneapolis, Minnesota. He gives us some valuable insights into what it takes to grow into a successful game store with not a lot of money to begin with, and he shares a lot of great tools near the end of the interview. So get ready to take notes. And with that, let's introduce Michael Angelo Russo. Hello there. Hi there,
1: Thomas. How are you today?
0: I'm not doing too bad. How are you?
1: good man i'm doing pretty good sorry it took us so long to get this hammered down but i'm glad we're doing
0: it yeah me too so uh what's the weather like out there
1: i'm in montana right now and it's kind of like rain icing i guess uh it's on and off right in between we- wants to snow wants to rain
0: yeah i guess that's where we're at right now too very good about the same that sounds like fun
1: yeah, yeah. Well, it's beautiful out here. I'm actually on this uh, trip here to write a game, and I'm about halfway through it. Oh, very uh, cool. Yeah, and my friends out here are avid gamers, and it's just you know I'm on a mountain. There's very little distraction, except to force the computer and the internet. But <laughs> yeah, cool. Yeah,
0: that sounds like a lot of fun. What so kind how, of game is it?
1: Oh, it's a it's a 4x game. So um, a space based 4x game, uh, and I'm I'm trying to distill down that genre into something that is not so unwieldy. So many of those games just get so granular. Mm-hmm. And, and they also almost always um, focus on, on, on combat. Like you, you can't win the game by ignoring the exterminate route. And I think that's just ridiculous from a, from a gameplay perspective. I want there to be four, the balance of those four elements. And I want to be able to be like, I'm going to ignore exterminate as much as possible
0: cool. and
1: do these other things and still maybe be able to win. You know,
0: yeah, no, I get it. I'm a big fan of settlers and the whole that doesn't have any combat at all.
1: Yeah, yep, yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: Maybe that's um, the reason why it's so popular.
1: Yeah, well, it, it's it's. Uh, I think I think just like you know, somebody who's a, f- a photographer, you, you take a shit ton of pictures, but you're going to keep your best work. It's all about simplifying down, mm-hmm. you know, reducing editing down to the, the, the core, and a lot of games fail that. And then it's just like we're doing things for, you know, the sake of doing something. And and I want every action and every decision to be one that's enjoyable and fun. Because at at the end of the day, if a game's not fun, why are we playing it?
0: Exactly. No, that sounds excellent. So uh, when are you going to move forward with the game? Is it designed and publishes? Are you doing it yourself or are you going to someone else?
1: I'll probably self-publish. Um, uh, one of my friends, Steve Port, uh, owns uh, Legion Supplies and Legion Games, and mm. he just he just uh, ran his first Kickstarter, and he does you know he get production. So I might tap him and be like, hey, you want to do you know do the publishing on this? We'll see. I I have pretty much all the skills required to get this self-published. Um, you know, certainly all all the digital related skills, uh, and uh, I'll probably go the Kickstarter route once I have everything in hand. My biggest unknown, honestly, is my artist. And um, I've been kind of like – I've been gathering lists of artists that I, I like, that I'd like to maybe commission to do it. But one of my uh, other friends, he, he did the art direction on uh, uh, the Star Wars uh, LCG for a while. And uh, he, he has a great contact book and knows lots of artists. But art, you got to pay for it. It's expensive. So, yeah, you know, it sure is so uh, that's uh, that's the that's the next step is honestly once the game is really kind of put together it's to find the right artist and get the art figured out and then have everything ready for pre-production and then probably use Kickstarter as the leverage platform. I mean, I could afford to publish it myself, but you know, don't take a risk you don't have to, I guess.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, if you can get your customers to pay for it first, why not?
1: Yeah, no. Well, and it and it and it, it bodes well for the life cycle of a game. It proves there's a market for it, so then distributors want to pick it up. Um, you know, at that point, uh, you also have people out there playing your game and who on a ground level have become, you know, part of its existence. And I, I've, I've backed so many cool, awesome projects on Kickstarter. I'm a, I'm like addicted. So
0: cool. Okay. Okay. We're getting a bit of ahead of ourselves, I guess. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, uh, do you mind introducing yourself and then going into universe games and how you got into that and
1: yeah, absolutely. Sure, sure. So, um, I'm a second generation gamer, um, and as I was saying, just a like soon to be game author, uh, mm-hmm. my, my dad also authored about 100 games back in the '80s, but uh, not for tabletop. It was for Commodore VIC 20 and 64. So, you know, he went the software route. So, I grew up playing games, all sorts of games, board games, you know, complex strategy board games that we now refer to as Euro games. But back then, mm. you know, I was eight. I didn't know what they were. They were just the thing I did with my dad. You know. So inevitably, um, I played all these, these old um, 3M games, uh, which were eventually purchased by, I think, Avalon Hill. Yeah, 3M manufactured these games in the 60s that my dad grew up playing. So um, he loved them, and he shared with me, like, uh, Twixt and Breakthrough, um, and they had a whole sports series, too. But they're they were, they were pretty well-designed games, honestly. If you can get, get your hands on any of those old bookshelf games, they stand up um, over time better than a lot of, a lot of games. Anyway, yeah, you know, very uh, surprised at how good they are. Hmm. And I'd really love it if they bring some of them back. But, you know, gaming seems to be Maybe mostly that's up about to you. what's... Yeah, right. Yeah, if you can get people to, to license it back out or hmm. push on Avalon Hill to do it. but um, So uh, anyway, I inevitably played a lot of video games, too. <laughs> you know,
0: like... Yeah, it usually but, overlaps
1: yeah, and everybody, I think in my generation, you know i'm I'm thirty five. I think we all grew up with Nintendo. I mean, I remember when we bought our first Nintendo and you know, all the good times that were had. Um, but I would say definitely my life direction and path was clearly changed at fourteen when I uh, was introduced to Magic the Gathering. Uh, that game had a, a huge impact on me as a kid. I had just started role playing a few months before that. Um, you know, so I was really into the fantasy genre and there was this game that came out that was like, Hey, here's resource management, trading and fantasy all like packaged up perfect. And, you know, I don't have to explain, you know, magic. Everybody knows exactly how it exploded. Mm -hmm. So, but that definitely became a huge thing for me. Um, I, I, I played, I've been playing it 20 years and, um, uh, I'd always had a passion for it and always had an interest for it. Uh, I was always looking for a way, you know, to get into the game shop business. I'd say it's almost like a recurrent, like there's a lot of people out there who find gaming as a, as a teenager or kid. And we're like, I'd love to own a game store. Um, and I just seem to
0: be a common theme.
1: Oh, it's such a common theme. And, uh, I, I think that's great because it's, it's kind of like you want to share this this thing you love and it has been rising in popularity over the last 15, 20 years. You know, more and more people um, uh, are are playing tabletop and non-electronic games. Uh, and, and I think they're doing it the, because of the social aspect, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. s- so that that common thread of us all wanting to open a game store, it was probably, you know, like I said, it's kind of cliche at this point, but I, I happen to have... The drive and the, you know, ambition to do it at some point and, and the money, I guess, which was entirely a fluke, um, how I came across my seed money for, for the business, uh, I had been buying and selling magic cards for, you know, ever, forever and ever and ever. And so all my friends and everybody out there knew they did that. I would mainly work with uh, the local game stores around, and I'm basically like a sub wholesaler. I'd pick them up for a good enough price that I make ten or fifteen percent. and The stores would, you know, then of course get the inventory and they turn it around and make you know thirty to fifty percent. And uh, I was perfectly happy doing that for so many years because I, you know, it wasn't like I was going to take the time to go and sell it direct to market or anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I came across a very, very nice beta Arabian Nights collection, very old, you know, 93, 94 um, stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, and it was friends of friends. And I picked that collection up <laughs> 10 grand and turned it around at 27,000 in six weeks. And mm-hmm. I used that seed money to open the first store. Very nice. Looking back at it, uh, opening a store on, on about 30 grand was kind of uh, amazing. Um, you know, that's that's, and and having, uh, I think there were a lot of things that happened that were very lucky for me, w- opening my first store. But I made some some good decisions too. One one of them was I I tried to keep my overhead low, so I went for a small space. I actually initially went into this thinking that I was going to do more e-tail than retail. And to do that, I had to have a physical presence. And, you know, I, I so I got a little tiny shop and uh, and then people started showing up, more people than I expected, which was, of course, good for business. But I quickly outgrew my space. So uh, we, we I ended up having to expand within my first year. Um, and that was that's when things got really real for me, um, you know, I, having having a space that now hold, held, you know, 50, 60 players. And I carried full line, you know, board games, uh, uh, miniature games, magic, everything. I was like living the dream and I'm, I was 25, so I was pretty young too. <laughs> yeah, sounds it? great. Yeah, right. It sounds, oh, it's just 25, 26. Yeah. Yeah. This is just about 10 years ago because we're going to celebrate our tenure, uh, this upcoming summer. Um, yeah, I, I was, I was loving it dream, seriously, uh, and then, you know, we're chugging along until about, uh, 2008 when, uh, the economy tanked real hard mm-hmm. and I had just had my, my best month, uh, ever, um, uh, at the, at the game store in about June, July, 2008. And I was actually looking at, um, uh, another expansion. So we opened up in 2005, sort about three years in, I'm like, okay, well, you know, I think I need a bigger space. And in, in our locality, we had a, a 40-year-old game store or a 30-year-old game store uh, that was in the city, heart of the city kind of like uh, get pushed out because of high rents. And um, so we lost a, a fantastic gaming location uh, about maybe 18 months before this point. And I started looking around for bigger spaces, and I ended up actually seeing a space in that neighborhood. And it wasn't actually as big as I thought it was. It was more only about 100 200 square feet bigger than the current building I had. So I decided to open a second store, but this, as you know, in 2008 was a, a, akin to ritual suicide. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was really a bad decision. Um, uh, literally, I lost 40% of my revenue in 90 days.
0: Wow! Uh, yeah, it
1: was it was just hard. And out in the suburbs where I was, uh, just not too far out, inner ring suburbs of Minneapolis, um, you know, we had a lot of young customers, um, you know, aged I'd say 15 to 15 to 17. Yeah, it was at least 25% of our customers and their pocket money immediately disappeared when their folks were having you know a hard time
0: mm-hmm.
1: so so yeah uh uh in the end um having opened the second location in in a better better locality i had to make a decision between uh, one or the other because business wasn't as good as i needed it to be uh at, at either location and i ultimately decided to keep the the newer location um, because I felt it being in the city, um, on a bus line, uh, in a higher density market would be beneficial for me. Now, of course, I can't tell you what would have happened if I kept the other store. You, you know, can only guess right. Yeah, I can only guess. And but the way things were going in that direction, I felt like, well, things went bad and the community disappeared, I, and uh, things are bad. But I'm limping along in the other one. Let's just let's just try it. So. So that's kind of the story of uh, where we're at. We've been there in 2008. We managed to weather 2008, 2009. And uh, we put down fantastic growth in the last three to four years, uh, double-digit growth in almost every sector. Um, uh, it's, it's slowly it's slowly slowing down now. I'm finding my market cap in the location that I'm at. And we also had another store open a couple of miles down the road, fantastic little place called Meat Hall Games. They're um, absolute enthusiasts for, uh, for magic. Um, you know, I'd say like real diehards in that, in that, in that area. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, like I said, my friend, Steve Port, he, he will say a rising tide floats all boats. So it's good to have, uh, you know, m- more people in tabletop gaming, not less,
0: you know? Yeah. I would say that's true for magic in general too. Having a store open up next to you sounds bad, but in reality that generally just makes the community bigger.
1: Yeah, it, as long as it's not t- too close, it won't be that big a deal,
0: you know? Yeah, there's definitely but, a threshold. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Four to I, five I, I, miles, I guess, and then after that, it's probably fine. Any closer than that, and you're probably going to start eating each other.
1: Yeah, yep, yeah. and it depends on certainly – um, what we, what geography is like, uh, since I'm in the city, you know, two miles uh, by, by the crow fly, but you know, he's in downtown, I'm in uptown. We're in distinctly different, you know, neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Um, we did have somebody open up, uh, seven blocks away on the same street as us. Um, <laughs> that, uh, it was a very, uh, very combative, um, very, very like that's very rare in my opinion in, in the industry here in Minneapolis. We're very friendly and mm-hmm. we're cooperative and, you know, I kind of shook my head and I was all like, hey, you know, I, I don't think it was a good decision for you or me. But now that you're here, let's figure out how we can be, you know, best synergistic. And he had nothing to do with it.
0: No, he was he just business. wanted to take as much market share as he could.
1: Yeah, yeah. And he yeah. was out of business five months later because that kind of attitude doesn't bode well with anybody in the community. It yeah, your customers aren't him.
0: going to appreciate that either.
1: Yep. It doesn't, it doesn't help anybody. It's like you got to be doing something that somebody else isn't already doing. Or doing something that they are doing just a lot better, you know.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You have to have some kind of market edge. So, and ultimately, I'm an entrepreneur. This isn't my only business. I love gaming and I love resource management. And so, I look at things. It took me a while to accept that's what it was. I was like, "Am I a software <laughs> developer? Am I, uh, you know, is that what I do? Is that all I'm going to do?" Because I do do that as well. I didn't, I didn't mention that. I've been doing software development for 15 years, and that's kind of been my primary career path. Uh, and there's been a lot of good projects I've worked on throughout that whole time. And um, uh, I had it's funny because when I first got into software, I ultimately wanted to build a, a gaming website, a you know, uh, a, 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 be able to e-tail products out there. And like mm-hmm. that's why I was developing the skills. I'm a very much a, like do-it-myself kind of person. So much so, I've built the signs for my business because I didn't want to pay six, seven, eight thousand dollars to have a sign built. I'm like it's just metal and wires and and LEDs. How how hard can
0: this be, right? Yeah, just figure it out yourself. That's fine. <laughs>
1: right, right, yeah. And then I did. I totally fabricated a sign. And then what's what's hilarious about that, because it's the nature of business. People walk by and they say, "Where do you get your sign?" And I'm like, "I built it." And they're like, "Can you build me one?" And I'm like, "Sure. Mm, yeah, I guess so." <laughs> it's work. Work is work. That's my attitude. Work is work. So as long as I can fit it in, you know, and it's um it's a fair wage, I'm gonna do it. So I, uh, I've i actually fabricated a number of signs. Now, I haven't gone so far as to building a sign business because it's not what I, I didn't do it for that reason. It was just, hey.
0: <laughs> you can you know? do it. So, yeah, sure. But not necessarily. Yeah. I want to do this all day, eight hours a day. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and a lot of things in business are processed. So right back into, you know, the game store, there is a process. People um, – You know, they come to you for specialty knowledge, like, you know, the magic cards, you know, the board games, you know, the miniatures. And then you also run the events to get people together and you have to be very knowledgeable to judge the games. And and so there's so much specialty knowledge in our niche, you know, tabletop gaming industry. Um, Mm -hmm. You can't you can't fake it. You know, (laughs) you you have to legitimately know that stuff or you're not going to succeed.
0: Yeah. Magic players can definitely smell it when you're faking it. No doubt. No doubt. Great. Well, we uh, jumped over a whole bunch of questions there. That was that was excellent. <laughs> so let's uh, pull back just a little bit. When mm-hmm. you decided to open the store, how did you come up with the name, and how important do you think the name is to your business?
1: Mmm. Uh, I think the the game store name uh, p- naming process, and I uh, the first time because uh, when I opened a second store, I opened up a, under a different name. Um, mm-hmm. And I have a theory about this uh, when it comes to naming uh, a business. Um, uh, one is you absolutely need to make sure you can get your domain.com. I think if you if you name your business, like... Uh, like we had, we had Epic Games in the running for a, for a, a tabletop game store, but you know that's owned by Epic yeah, Games. It, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, and and while they are it, it, peripheral industry, they're saying You might be able to get away with it. But you're always going to be confused. They're not, your users are never going to find you. So we're like, nope, that goes in the bin. You can't do that. You know. So it was uh, find it find a find your domain name that goes along. So when you're doing your name search, use name tools like domain name tool searches for and you can and they have all kinds of lists that will auto generate in fact i'd recommend uh i think it's uh, domaintron i think that might be the the naming or either that or name station one of the two and they're just so great at uh, brainstorming ideas that are in a vein so if you have a particular you know type of genre you like so if it's fantasy you can probably get you know tons of fantasy keywords and something's going to be available um and i'm not saying everybody has to pay attention to the internet but people have to find you so you know, and they're going to do that with the Internet a lot. I think you don't want to ignore that. And I think in this day and age, you can't just be a retailer. You have to sell your products online as well in some capacity, um, uh, simply because the overhead of running a business itself is it's expensive. And, you know, you may as well increase your market uh, to, to at least your local area. So I, I have this theory that most retail stores are going to be, you know, retail and retail if it's retail just locally. So we have everything on our website. You can buy it online in your pajamas and pick it up in our store the next day. Like I think this is what the customer expects out of retail and anybody who doesn't do that, you know, is going to get ignored, you know?
0: Yeah, great. No, I was thinking the exact same thing. It
1: that still doesn't answer the question you originally asked, sorry, which is uh, truly how did I come up with my name? So I had jokes for a long time, um, you know, that, uh, I had interest in so many fields that I should just be Universe Incorporated, which, mm-hmm. in fact, I, I am. And when I went down to the Secretary of State to, to register my business, they're like, that's not going to be available. And then I typed it in because I'd already done the search. And they're like, huh, that's available. And I'm like, yep. Yeah. So my mother corporation is Universe Inc., and therefore, um, you know, Universe Games just spreads off from that, and and I can use the Universe brand for many other things if I'd like to, you know. Uh, but uh, that's that's where where it all started um, was I just had this idea of all inclusiveness. Um, uh, there were plenty of, you know, even though Magic Fantasy based, and I have a huge, you know, history with that. I feel like the future. Of gaming is towards the future you know like and i want it to be inclusive and for a long time um I, i'd say our people would identify us by you know if we didn't have it we'd get it for you so just if you needed something in gaming and, and you didn't want to look for it you didn't want to deal with it and this is 2005 yeah the internet's out there but 10 almost 10 years ago it was hard way harder to find obscure game titles you know and, and so we'd go out and do the work for people because that's all a retailer does is really just get you the thing you want or get a thing that you don't know you want yet in front of you,
0: mm. so, you can wa-
1: so you can want it,
0: you know? Yeah, know your customer better than they know themselves.
1: Right. And, and yeah, and you got you, you to gotta know that stuff uh, again. Otherwise, you know, if I go back to my game store and they haven't put a new title on the shelf in six months, I probably stop going because there's nothing mm. new, you know?
0: Great. Yeah. So what does a typical day look like at universe games?
1: Um, so a typical day at the game store um, is going to be, we, we, out of simplicity, I have like our recurring tasks, like our daily tasks, like the things that have to happen. Um, we've got to, you know, process our magic singles. Um, we have to restock things. We have to do, you know, uh, go through just the general process, opening a register, closing a register. And like I said, I unified my, my, di- my, my, product database and website, they function off of the same one single database. So my point of sale and my website, everything functions from that one point. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and so that's why I have to kind of do this work with you know Magic Singles. Um, and I work with uh, suppliers and wholesalers too, so that I can keep my inventory levels up all the time. And there's a just a sheer inane amount of actual busy data entry work at the store every day. I'd say probably 90 minutes of the day is taken up with just that kind of stuff. Just administrative, like you got to keep the store running, greasing the wheels. And, um, you know, you learn better processes and how to do things faster and faster and import and export spreadsheets in your database instead of manually entering what you have to. But still, there's going to be a amount of time that goes into that. And then, um, so we open around 12 in the afternoon, and I'd say our first customer rolls in 15, 20 minutes after we open, somebody on their lunch break. Um, but it doesn't really get busy in the store until the evening, until people are off of work. hmm Um, uh, and so there's this nice, nice lull in the afternoon between, you know, two and three where we get some of this busy work done. But, uh, uh, by three o'clock I want all the administrative stuff kind of off, off our shoulders. Uh, so that way we can interface with customers who are inevitably going to come in. Most evenings we run a different type of event. Um, Monday we'll do commander for magic. Uh, Tuesday is our miniatures night. Uh, um, Wednesdays we'll do modern for magic. Thursdays we have a booster draft. Um, Friday of course is Friday Night Magic and then on the weekends we'll put our premiere events in so we'll do the Star Wars X-Wing, we'll do um, a Warhammer Fantasy or 40k event and we'll definitely run like a Star City Invitational Qualifier or you know a, a, a PPTQ or whatever <laughs> big magic event we want to run um, and, and that's what our weekends look like uh, generally and then we just do it all over again you know
0: <laughs> yeah one week looks like the next it's good yeah. having a consistent schedule, though, right?
1: Yeah, and, and it's it's fantastic having more play space than we necessarily always need. When we have a, an event running off, especially on Fridays and Saturdays, we're probably really pressed for space. But a, any other day of the week, even though we have like this preset idea for what's going to happen, there's probably a few tables. So if people want to just come and casually game, most days they can do that, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, by the end of the day, it's, of course, it's just tear down, count down, clean up, you know, get ready for the next day. Uh, that's that's the the average day. Um, we do our orders early on in the week. Uh, I, I can't help but plug ACD distributors. I think they're the best distributor out there. Uh, not to say that the other distributors I work with aren't good. I just happen to be proximally located to their um, Wisconsin warehouse, so things ship next day. So it's fantastic if mm. uh, somebody comes in and they really need something, we can we can we can get it for them the next day as long as it's before like you know one thirty-two o'clock, you know.
0: Yeah, no, that sounds uh very effective, especially if you can get it without any extra cost. It's just well, naturally that fast.
1: You know, we got Amazon Prime out there, so people who want to buy on the internet can do so, and they, you know, mm. it, it's a two-day scenario. So having any competitive advantage is good. Um, and uh, I think, again, though, like back to that same thing, the the, the discount retailers out there, um, I don't think they're necessarily doing a disservice. Uh, you know, I think that the people who understand the value of a local game store are going to make some of their purchases that they would maybe even otherwise make online still in person because they understand that if they don't, the doors don't stay open and there isn't this central hub for them to play at. So, you know. The revenue streams inside of a game store are varied. It's between event costs, um, you know, entry fees, uh, actual, you know, retail, um, uh, and then in, if you run Magic, there's a lot of money to be had in in buying and selling, of course. Oh yeah, of course. You can just turn it around for fifteen percent profit. Snap your fingers, you know what I mean? So, yeah, there's money coming in from multiple different ways in your retail enterprise if you're doing it right.
0: Hmm. Well, speaking of uh, competitive advantages, I uh, looked at your site and I noticed you do have a VIP program. Mm,
1: yep, yeah. our customer loyalty program. We have it started a couple, three, four years ago. Uh, the idea that you know, you're really when you look at the numbers, uh, your ten best customers represent probably ten percent of your business. Like no joke. Like your ten best customers are a huge part of your business, and those people are there. I mean, they're brand advocates, they love your store, and they're probably going to be there either way. But anything you can do to remind them how much you appreciate (laughs) their presence, the fact that they are really part of the lifeblood of your team, like without them, you know, you don't have a reason to exist, honestly, without your customers, that's it. And uh, people think that the game business is like, I want to open a game store, let's open a game store, it's going to be great. And they have no practical experience with business that they might not connect these points together. So we went into offering a VIP program to give people uh, a way to you know, get discounts locally, You know, first of all. And it's a pay-to-play kind of scenario. You give something away for free, people don't have any loyalty for it. Um, I know this because when we first opened up, we were a games discounter. I actually opened up as a games discounter. Oh, really? And yeah, I did. I, I, I was planning on selling eTail, so I just sold people the same price that I was not selling on the internet. But hey, you can walk in and get off the shelf. I figured that would garner a lot of loyalty um, it didn't garner any loyalty, um, hmm. and I learned that in two thousand eight when we were going through our hard times. What it really did was um, said, "Hey, this is this is you know cheap. It's free," and it kind of hurt my local businesses around because I was playing ball at a lower price. And, and everyone's like, "Hey, man, we got to run our uh, run you know run the business too." And there's a reason why we sell stuff for the price we sell it for. Mm-hmm. Running having a sale is a great idea. Keeping your prices low all the time just erodes the, the uh, perceived value of what you're selling and it, it you know I'm not trying to say uh, we should be greedy and make as much money as possible we have bills to pay and people actually do need to eat. It's not even a joke. it's not like we're just saying this because we're greedy but like no, I got to pay my employees and those employees have to eat and if we're gonna do this not Walmart style, we actually have to charge a little more than the internet because we have bills that the internet doesn't have like retail store frontage, <laughs> you know what I mean Yeah, exactly. So. So, um, uh, but the, the, VIP program developed, um, uh, pretty organically, uh, it gave people discounts on the things that, um, you know, the more they were spending, the bigger discount they're going to get, because that's exactly how it's going to work online. You're going to be able to find deep discounts on eBay and, and Amazon. And, uh, it kept our local customers happy. Um, it gave them incentive, but what it did more than anything is it kept our customers, our customers, because now that they have this, this discount that's localized only for the store they have an incentive to come back to us opposed to going somewhere else. Um, And uh, that isn't to say people didn't go play events anywhere else, but when they were buying the products they're going to buy, they buy them with us. And that's what you're trying to do is build a relationship with your customer, give them what they need, and give them an incentive to come back and to enjoy more of what they already enjoy.
0: Yeah, Um, that sounds like a very effective tool.
1: I, I, would, I would recommend uh, a customer loyalty program for everybody. We expanded upon it um, with a little company called Five Stars. Uh, they do a customer loyalty nationally. So the idea was you have one card and it works at any store that you go to as long as that store you know, runs the program. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, a, it's a genius business concept for them because you know it's subscription fees from the stores. And, but it's fantastic in the capacity that all I need is a phone number and we track things. We switched over to this point-based system, and we started giving people points just for spending money. You know, you, you're familiar with these kind of systems. Um, Best mm-hmm. Buy does it, et cetera. So we just give away stuff for free to people who are already there, and we incentivate purchases by having those points built in $15 tiers. So if they're like $10 away, you know, they can get another point for $10, and they not. But if they're like $5 away, you might say, "Hey, one more point for $5." They're gonna maybe pick up another booster pack. And then our our cheapest tier is we give five points for a booster pack. So if you you know if you Spent seventy-five dollars, you're going to get a free booster pack, and that's just free. We we stack that on top of our already existing other VIP program, and it's been wildly successful. We have a, a thousand members in the program, and yeah, we've given out some uh, obscene amount of things. But again, it builds that uh, that value of I'm going to go to Universe Games and buy my stuff because I earn points for doing it. You know, mm-hmm. so yeah, customer loyalty. Help you help you retain the customers you already have and get them back in, you know, and and uh, that keeps you a healthier business, which lets you be able to do more, carry more game lines, offer more products, and ultimately are are healthier in your in your community.
0: Great, I like it. Kind of, oddly enough, being extremely generous pays off for you.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, yes. I mean, and it's it's like. Uh, when i look at the store because people are like you want all this stuff and i go no this is just stuff waiting to go to people's homes i'm just kind of a facilitator i'm a maintainer of this product it's here to be yours you know Mm -hmm. i think you know you're facilitating the process you're you're proliferating gaming out there you're like yes go and game have fun and come and be here if you want to but otherwise just game more it's a good thing to do
0: (laughs) yeah no excellent i i like that you really believe in the uh the gaming mission?
1: Well, I absolutely do. Um, I'd say when I, looking back at my teenage years, um, uh, gaming kept me out of trouble. Well, okay. It kept me out of more trouble. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so like, uh, yeah, definitely. I believe in the idea of fostering critical thinking in, um, you know, young teenagers. I think, I think, uh, boys and girls need a, a healthy environment to be in that, that, uh, that fosters both creativity, um, critical thinking, and, uh, you know, just socialization. Um, and I think gaming offers that to, to everybody.
0: Okay, so if uh, if you had to pick something, what is it about Universe Games that makes it successful? Mm. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay. It's
1: okay if you say you. Yeah, I want to say something not arrogant, but the answer is you, what makes Universe Game successful is uh, I would say an unrelenting desire to be part of this community and to offer these things uh, to the people who are ultimately our friends. I mean, a game shop, we refer to them as you know friendly local game shop for a reason because the people there are friendly and they want to engage with people, and you make wonderful friends. You know, like, before I owned a game store, that was always true, too. I would go to, and I actually frequented every game store in my area, so I knew my entire community. I loved it. And I'd see different people at different stores, and it was, you know, different events and different, and, and, and different owners, and everybody was just friendly. Maybe that's a Midwest thing. I think it's probably an actual average gamer thing. I think this is probably true uh, in most game stores across the nation, is it's like, it's like, it's like a coffee shop attitude, but we actually know each other. You know, the coffee shop, you're all sitting kind of there elbow to elbow and you're not interacting with each other. You're interacting with your computer and drinking a cup of coffee. And that's cool, but uh, this environment engages conversations with people who you don't know so much easier than like any other environment. But I guess the bar, but the bar is seedy. And
0: yeah, even at, even at a bar, you don't get a lot of uh, group conversation beyond yeah. the group that you may have come with. Like maybe yeah. a one-on-one Pickup style kind of thing, but uh, yeah, games tend to foster a lot of social interaction amongst a group of completely complete strangers. Effectively,
1: yeah, well, we share the commonality that that we're there to engage in game or ga- games or gaming and and friendly conversation generally. So uh, it's I'm glad it's there. But uh, hmm. uh, the thing that 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 definitely keeps us, you know, moving forward. And in our community and alive is that desire on the part of everyone in the staff, and, you know, to, to, to be that force.
0: How many people do you have working for you?
1: Um, I have five people who work at the game store with me, um, ancillary, so I'd say a sixth who does um, uh, our concessions uh, delivery so for a number of years, I did that myself. I'd go down to, you know, either Costco or Sam's Club and go pick up the snacks and the soda and all that, you know, every week. Mm-hmm. And uh, eventually after, I don't know, five years, I was all like, I wonder if somebody else wants to do this. <laughs> so one of our guys does that. And then um, uh, we've got uh, five guys that are part time um, uh, in the store. Two of them are partners of mine. Uh, over the years, I kind of made a deal with uh, two of my employees. I said, you know, if you're here for, you know, three years, um, you put in a lot of good effort. I'll give you a, a percentage of the business. and I did that with, with two of my employees. Uh, I felt like uh, the way to give them an opportunity and pay them back for the hard work they've done um, and get you know a, a, a loyal team together that has a purpose. Um, you know so it's kind of like uh, I wouldn't say crowd crowdsourcing or crowd sharing it but you know it's distributing the, the ownership of this idea among the people who are actually doing the work to keep it alive
0: yeah get you your uh, get your team invested in what you're doing and invested in their success as well as yours yep yep absolutely because there's
1: nothing like having skin in the game no matter what game it is if you Mm-mm. have a, a personal interest in what occurs you're going to make decisions that are in the interest of the enterprise the best and also, you know, I'm just not your average um, entrepreneur. I'm not just simply there to make money. There's always a purpose behind what I'm doing, and it's always there to solve a business, you know, a need, or, you know, solve a a, a real problem uh, with the business itself.
0: Yeah, money's just a side effect, right? Yeah, right, well, money
1: is really it's just it's kind of a score. Money, money is uh is, is both the score and the ability to. It's a resource that you can use to you know increase the quality of your of your establishment. But in the end, in the end, if you're if you're having money troubles, you might go, "What am I doing wrong? What decisions am I making wrong with my resource management? And am I not being validated? My customers aren't validating me, so maybe I'm doing something wrong." <laughs> you know.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you think uh, strategy gamers or gamers in general would actually be pretty good with money.
1: You'd think that,
0: yeah. It does cool. seem to overlap a lot with what they spend a lot of their time doing.
1: I would say that strategy gamers are, in general, much better with resource management. Um, but we also have kind of pie-in-the-sky kind of ideas about you know how we spend our time and what we do all the time. Like I, That's the one thing I, I – right now, I don't get to game as much as I used to. That's one of the side effects of owning a game store is – you don't get to play as many games as you want. So people who are like, I love playing games. I want to open a game store. First thing I say is then keep playing games because you'll have more fun doing it that way.
0: Yeah, Um, it doesn't quite happen that way. You don't just, uh, all of a sudden it's eight hours a day of as many games as you can handle. No, there's a lot more work involved than you'd think.
1: Yeah, well, then the garbage doesn't get taken out and things don't get restocked. And so it's like, it's such a, it's this hard access of, yeah, you're going to get opportunities to play games, but I wouldn't say much more, you know, (laughs) Maybe when you're early and things are slow, you got a lot of games you can play. But if you are actually frequented and you're, and you're doing a lot of work for people, then
0: it's going to be, yeah. Yeah, not it's going to be business, not, uh, not as much play, obviously. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Speaking of that, I think uh, advice I'd have to give people uh, mm-hmm. who want to open a game store, and this is my friends and I who own game stores joke the first piece of advice we give you is don't. Do not open a game store. Mm-hmm. That, then anybody who's left who is committed determined. to the process, yep, determined, exactly, those are the people that we give our really good advice to uh, because they're going to do it. They're going to do it, so you want them to succeed if they're going to. Uh, anybody who kind of – you can't kind of like kind of want to open a game store. You have to really want it. Um, uh, I'd say keep your, your overhead down as low as possible, uh, which means don't buy the biggest space you you can possibly afford. Buy a smaller one because, yeah, while moving sucks, you don't know how many people are going to show up. You don't know what type of people are going to show up necessarily, and you can attract certain types of gamers, but you got to see what's really going to happen in your location. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Uh, And then next, be certain about how you're different than somebody else is already in your community. Um, uh, And then lastly, when you do enter the community, make sure you are friendly with the other um, store owners in the areas and make sure that you let them know you're here to help the overall industry, not just yourself. Um, and and you develop good friendships with those people. You probably already have them. You, you're already in the community. You probably are friends with these people. You know, and that's and that's a good thing because then you're then you you'll be able to cooperate. At some point, you'll be able to cross promote things. You know, i I do that a lot with my local guys out here. You know, you're not running a big event every weekend, but there is almost always a big event going on somewhere every weekend. So you want everyone to know about it so they can go and do the thing that they most enjoy.
0: Yeah, and you help your competitors with their quotes. Then when you have the big event, they'll also help you. Yeah. Everybody an, wins.
1: Exactly. That's a mutual win, and that's quite possible in, you know, in commerce and business. You just got to look for it. Uh, in fact, the exchange between customer and business is about a mutual win. That's exactly what it is uh and i it's funny as, as time's gone on i've leaned towards games that um are more cooperative based um or 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 in general are just really fun playing all the way down like you can you can put together you can, a fantastic strategy game and put it in front of me but if like if it's just this just pure math or not actually entertaining or really too combative and a lot of negative play experiences are created during it i'm just going to put that game down i'll play it once and then i'm not going to pick it back up um, you know, and that comes back down to the one piece of philosophy, which Nintendo of all companies figured out a long time ago, which is games are supposed to be fun. <laughs> like that's what they're supposed to be. Yeah, and thought. we, yeah, we forget that sometimes.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's pretty easy to lose that, especially in uh, the world of video games where it's all about graphics and multiplayer. And it's really easy to lose sight of what it means to have fun you know, like, oh, oh, right. it just, it's a cinematic experience, but you know, you could be maybe uh, bored the entire time. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you it could be very, very, very linear. Like you're just you're moving through the steps. You're pressing the buttons to get through the steps versus enjoying. You know, you know, and just two two words on on two video game uh, stories. I have Re- one. Portal is probably one of my. It was. It's a puzzle game with. Combat esque themes, um, it, very well written. It wasn't even about graphics. I enjoyed that game a lot. I enjoyed the, the sequel even more. It's very uh, humorous too. Come again?
0: It had great humor too.
1: Oh, exactly. Yeah, no, the voice casting was perfect. They yeah. were like, you know what? We're going to spend less money on our graphics and more money on the um, not quote the story, but the entertainment of the yeah. story. I suppose. Yeah, and it was w- very well done. Um, and it has a, a huge fan following. We you know it. You know, it was just kind of it. It wasn't meant to be its own franchise. And it became one. That's great. And then uh, a few years ago, I was playing one of the Call of Duty Advanced Warfare Fighter whatever games, you know, Mm -hmm. because my friends are playing it. So I'm going to play, you know, because you do what your friends do and you want to be hanging out with your friends. That's why you game, social. And, uh, I don't know, there's, there's somebody got their, their perk where they get the helicopter that just basically mows people down. And I remember saying, uh, I, I game with my dad a lot too. And I was like, you know what, if I, if I get mowed down by that helicopter, I just again, cause I just like spawn death three times. Mm. I don't think I want to play this game anymore. And sure <laughs> enough, I, I spawn, I get killed like in three seconds from a helicopter. And I'm like, where's the skill on this? Where's the fun in this? You know, we can play something else, and that's it. I ejected the disc, and I never put it back in. You know that if you create too much of a negative play experience, people just stop playing the game. So, uh, you know, I get it. You, you got to have good play experience, uh, good, good, good play, I and mean, yeah, enjoy it. And competitive gaming sometimes erodes at that. So it's you have to really decide how much you want to compete, and there's way varying levels of that. And even in the Magic community, there is. You can go all the way from Commander, you know, all the way all the way up to the highest echelon of you know Pro pro-gaming, you know. Yeah, it's
0: um, quite a spectrum.
1: It is, and Magic facilitates all of it. So it's a good game for people in that capacity, obviously.
0: I guess it's actually one of the few that'll do that, that you can really take completely casually and just play for the utmost amount of fun. Like You can try, and try not to actually win the game and just see what kind of crazy situations you can have in the case of like a commander game with four players, right? Yeah. The amount of interaction can be just absurd. And then you can also play the completely streamlined combo deck that you just want to win on turn one or turn two ideally and not play magic right yep
1: yep and there's varying degrees i would (laughs) say and it's all about your personality and what you want to do and it's a huge game we all we all know the value of of magic and what it's done and in in, in the community itself it's a huge huge part of what keeps the doors open on friendly local game stores uh it's a big revenue maker it's it's true um and and that's that's great because it's a successful game and we have you know like six million active players or something you know a lot of people play it so then that gaming vernacular that culture that language we understand has preceded all of gaming if you you know concepts from magic have appeared in other games and had had you know and and will so you know we when we go oh yeah we turn that card sideways or we mark it in some way we think tap we're tapping that resource we're using it you know it's synonymous for mechanics for us so you'll see that a lot of people who play magic play a lot of other games too and then and and especially magic players will communicate in magic terminology to explain game concepts that are in a, another board game or whatever you know like people played 7 wonders which is a drafting game and magic players love that you know um uh, magic players love dominion and, and deck building games and those concepts you know just melded immediately to them uh and so there's this whole market of people who play these games and play magic that can that have had these other products pop up that are really marketed directly to them and for them one of the things, however, I would say that is not marketed directly for a Magic player is almost any other competing collectible card game because you can only spend so much money. And that's, that's the mistake that happened in the in the mid-90s is all these companies were like, we'll create all these other card games, and these people who like card games will buy that. But what they didn't realize is they, they liked Magic is what they liked. <laughs> that's, what, that's the thing they loved. And, yeah, there's room for card games, and there's plenty of other card games out there, but eh, – you know, what, Yu-Gi-Oh! is modestly successful but been waning for years. Pokemon, same thing.
0: Yeah, went up um, and
1: down. Yep. Yeah. Water Warcraft TCG went the way of the Dodo uh, because they're the pushing Hearthstone, and I think it's wise in their part. There are uh-huh. a lot of people out there who used to love the Versus system, and I know that that's coming back. Um, and then there's some, some, some living card games that are good, uh, you know, from, from Fantasy Flight. Um, I think they're well, very well designed um but they don't they don't go after the competitive gamer in the same capacity uh there's something about that um that market that's not quite there and it's not my job to dissect it but you know it's a i'm glad it's there for people who are a little more casual than magic and still want to play a card game but uh, yeah, yeah the well, whole industry has been affected by magic
0: yeah, well, it was basically a pioneer right it established all the rules that all the other card games kind of didn't copy but sort of took as their base and then modified the, for them for their own game
1: well i'd say you know like when we look at uh world of warcraft tcg it had a lot of magic elements um games like the spoils which i loved by the way when it first hit the scene um uh, improved upon magic in some co- in some capacities. But they made some fatal errors, as any you know any new product can do. Like hmm. they gave their product away for free, and when you give away a product for free, you essentially assign a value in the customer's mind as you well. nothing.
0: they, they, they <laughs> yep. don't care about yep. it. I'll yep. enough.
1: Yeah. And, uh, and, then, and then it's a fantastic game, and I've been waiting for them to release it in a non-collectible format because I think that game would be sellable in that way. And I've, I've even reached out to the company and said, hey, when you start releasing this product as a non-collectible game, I will really happily push it in my store you know, more than I have. Because you know, I just, you do yourself a disservice to try to split off into too many CCGs, and, and we all know it. And the real reason that Magic is strong as a CCG because it has a good economy. You know, people can trust putting money in the game. Like, if you invested in, I don't know how true this was. It was true a few years ago. I haven't done the math lately, but if you invested in Magic the Gathering dual lands at almost any point since they've been printed, you would have accrued a better value than the average index fund of, you know, America. Like, literally a better value accrual just by investing in, in Magic dual lands.
0: Yeah, and I, I, uh, I would believe that. I, uh, a while, a couple of years ago, There was a thread that said that uh, somebody did the math, and a Jace the Mind Sculptor at the time was worth more than its weight in gold. Yeah, in like a literal comparison.
1: Yep. Yep. Exactly. Oh yeah, I remember. That's that's it. So it's a good economy, and uh, and that's what keeps people around. And and, uh, I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's just the way we think in America. But it's it's kind of like this. It's a resource of itself. The cards themselves are a resource that you have. They can be an investment. You can play. You can win if you get rewarded for being a skilled player and winning events. You know, it's a hobby that can, um, on a very low level, kind of pay its way. And and if not, pay its way at least um, subsidize based on your play skill. And some people don't even care about that. They don't don't even care. Some people just buy the cards. They buy what they have. They have this great collection. They don't even care. They just play the game because they love the game. Uh, And I think it has to be has to be that way. The game has to be good enough that you don't really care about that. So I think Magic will exist in some form or another for you know perpetuity. There's, there's no reason why it won't. Um, I know that uh, there's been conversations like inside Wizards of the Coast. They go, "What's the next thing that's going to come out? What's going to kill us? Is video games going to get us? What's going to get us?" And the answer is nothing's going to, nothing's <laughs> going to. Yeah, nothing you. will
0: get you. Don't worry about <laughs> it.
1: <laughs> yeah, nothing's going to catch you in that capacity. But from a business perspective of constant, infinite growth, yeah, something might catch you because you can't always grow infinitely forever. That's the trouble with. Yeah, of um, course, there's
0: only so many people yeah. on the planet who could potentially buy your game. So, right, exactly. there's a hard cap there.
1: Yep, there is there is always a hard cap at some point. Um, and, and then you see people doing things like... I We've, we've pu- been pushing the popper format for Magic in mm-hmm. our store on Saturdays because I want to eliminate the last barrier to play. The last barrier to play is money. Um, uh, there is a lot of money in the... You know, it takes a lot of money to play in the game competitively. Um, even in standard, it takes a considerable amount of money. Um, uh, and I want to reward players who just make good decisions and enjoy the game and, and also it sells commons you know it's mm-hmm. great people enjoy it you know and, and if they aren't buying it maybe there's always somebody who will hand you a stack of commons. it's just here you go i don't need them so yeah. you can basically enter for free and spend 20 30 bucks to get a very competitive proper deck together and you can just play that deck forever if you want to so i understand that won't ever turn wheels for for wizards and they aren't looking to maybe you know popularize that format in in, in uh in in paper play but uh although i think they recently made an announcement about uh fnm being able to change your format to one of many different formats and i think popper might even be on that list i'm not i think so i think it might be there's a lot of formats that were unofficially supported um and that is an unofficially supported format uh it's played online mol they have it but um but, uh, you know, whatever. It's not that hard to just simply say, hey, if it's common, you can play it. <laughs> <laughs> like,
0: Yeah, yeah, it. of course. But it's uh, it's difficult, though, right? Setting up a tournament that is for a uh, more niche format that not everyone plays. Like, even Commander, not everybody has a Commander deck. But Popper's even less. Mm-hmm. Everyone yep. has commons, but not everybody has necessarily the commons they think that they can win a tournament with or want to play a tournament with. But... Uh, it's the problem with throwing a tournament or having a tournament that, uh, you don't know will necessarily have the level of interest to fire. Right. Yeah. You yeah. Have, well, we have to get like three or four people to show up and then you can't really do anything with that. And yeah. then you get that reputation that, Oh, this event will never fire because nobody plays that format.
1: That is a very big chicken egg syndrome situation for, for any game that you're trying to run. Um, and the, and that's probably the toughest thing that uh, a game store faces when trying to put new formats together or run new games or, or is new. Uh, our popper is is not very highly attended, but we have the diehards that keep coming every week, and I thank them for showing up every week. Them being there is makes this a possibility, you know, as a format to grow. When we started Commander, it was me and like three guys, you know, and then I was just there every Monday night playing every Monday night, and sure enough, we have thirty people there every Monday now. You know, yeah, and the seed group
0: it, that it yeah. grows out of, right?
1: Yep. And the people are like, what are you guys doing? Well, oh, we're playing Commander. Cool. What's that? You know, and then you tell people. And the same thing for Popper. What are you guys playing? We're playing Popper. What's that? Magic but Commons only. And then people go, huh, that's kind of appealing because it doesn't cost a lot of money. And then also it's the thing I can point new players to who are all like, I don't know what I should do. Oh, it seems really expensive. And I'll be like, well, here are all the intro products that we would recommend. But if you would want to play um, you know, magic semi-competitively, for jeep play popper on saturday
0: you know yeah, give this a try so, and see how you like it
1: yep exactly so and, and and that's why i think and maybe i'm not the only one because i i know that another another couple stores in my area started running it after i did i think hmm. we see the value in players um you know who don't necessarily have money because it's not about money gaming is not supposed to be about money it just happens to be an aspect of you know the business Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, it's getting people together to play, and especially for people who love magic, they love magic. I mean, we—how many hours do you play a game? You know, how much I've played two, oh, <laughs> two thousand hours of magic, three thousand hours, probably more, probably like six thousand hours of magic in my life, and that's a lot. You know, it's like
0: yeah, that's in, in, that's halfway to being a master,
1: <laughs> right? That's like how many hours? Like I can't really truly add it up. I don't honestly know, but I know I've played a lot, and that that time is. What's the, It's your life. It's your lifeblood. It's you. So it's mm-hmm. more valuable than the money ever could be. And a lot of people don't look at their hobbies as in, you know, what's the most important component, the time or the money? And I think it's time because you're only going to get so much time. Money comes and goes.
0: I yeah. Know. Have you ever read uh, On the Shortness of Life by I have not. You know, Seneca? Mm-mm, I have not. I have not. No. It's, uh, it sounded like you did.
1: Oh, you, okay. You paraphrased well, I him to.
0: very well underneath uh, the gaming banner for that. What was it called again? On the, on the Shortness of Life. On the Shortness of Life. I'll check by it out. Seneca. No problem. I'm getting real deep on the philosophy today. <laughs> That's uh, kind
1: of how I am. I, I kind of get that way.
0: I like that. Okay, so uh, what to jump ahead to something concrete, what resources would you recommend for somebody who wanted to start their own game store? What would you recommend for them to have prior to? So uh, things like... Money, like how much money would they need to get their runway going? Skills or knowledge, inventory even?
1: Yep, okay. So from a breakdown on the advice on what you need to open a store is obviously you need to find a physical space that's uh, able to handle what you're looking to do. And um, and, and hunting for retail spaces, I'm not going to lie, I use Craigslist a lot. Um, there are some commercial real estate places out there. You drive around your neighborhood and look for signs for lease signs and windows. Um, and 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 uh, and get enough comparable spaces in your pool that you're looking at, and there are all different kinds of lease terms and everything. But like you figure out the final price of what that space is gonna be. And then divide that, you know, over the, over the year, figure out what your monthly, what you're going to need and try to have a year's worth of money in the bank for your overhead. And, you know, figure out what your, you know, your gas bill or your electric bill, or if that's included, I'm lucky in both my heat and electric are included in my lease, which is amazing. Nice. That's, that's pretty rare. Um, I negotiated a fantastic lease where I'm at the location I'm at. I'm, I'm, I'm 35% under the average rent area. So oh. that's good for, that's good for my landlord. Cause I'm never going to move, <laughs> you know, <laughs>
0: like,
1: um, uh, uh, but it's bad for me in the fact that I'm, I'm probably never going to move. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> so, uh, so you just you know, and and I always negotiated a. Uh, a lease extension so be really careful that if you end up in a situation where you have like let's say you know if you're a new business you're probably going to have to negotiate a between two and three year lease most people aren't going to want to take you on for less than that um uh i did a five year at my second location because i already felt that that was comfortable and i had a five year backup after that so a five year renewal option and all of my prices and all of my rent increases were already factored in so if i decided to opt into that lease i knew it was coming down the line I am now into my second five-year lease at this location, and I have another five-year extension that's written in. So I know I'm good for seven more years you know, or six more years. And that's a a, a level of um, security that I think every business owner uh, should behoove themselves to do. And it's a lot of forward thinking. But okay, so that's the first thing is your space, how much it's going to cost, expect it to cost more as time goes on, Mm. and understand the true implications of that and get that money in the bank 12 months, minimum six months. Minimum keeping the lights on, just paying those bills six months, and it's not money I can. Oh well, I can borrow that and do it. No, it's like hard money that needs to be there to pay those things. It's great if you earn money along the way to, you know, to help you grow. But if you've already had that planned, and by the time six months is up, maybe you're actually getting earning enough to pay your your bills, you know, and and some some of your labor and or your your own money to yourself. Yeah, Next that physic-
0: break-even point, right?
1: Yeah, you want to get there. I was in the black in like uh, four months. So I was making money four months in because I kept my overhead really low. And I didn't have any employees to start. It was just me working, you know, 70 hours a week. Hmm. Um, and, uh, and because I was there, in the quiet time, I could still do my web and development work and whatever I needed to do when there wasn't anyone around. So it was easy, you know. So if you have an alternate source of income that you can, you can make through a computer, that's even better. Because you can work on that when there's nobody there. <laughs> and if you don't have that, then make the products you sell part of that. Figure out how to get them online in some capacity and maybe focus on one product line or even one product specifically that you sell online. Because, you know, adding more products just adds more complexity. You know, you can figure you can figure out how to make a dollar on, you know, one game <laughs> over and over and over again, you know, then great. You've made some money. Uh Physically inside your store, you're going to need your display cabinets. You're going to need you know, your racking and all of your, and your, you know, your, your retail um, uh, layout stuff. And you're going to need tables and chairs if you're going to have players. And um, I remember I purchased uh, like office rolling chairs, like task chairs, like 60 of them for my big location. Mm-hmm. It was a bad idea. They all had the casters eventually snap off because that's mm-hmm. what happens is they wear out. So get yourself sturdy stacking chairs. Folding chairs work, but sturdy stacking chairs, used if you can find them on Craigslist or uh, or any number of places, or there are some internet discounters. Um, and same thing for your tables. Uh, you know, find find a find a relatively good priced outlet of tables online, probably a restaurant supply store, um, or of course you can just buy folding tables from like Office Max or Office Depot. But those end up being just about this expensive, and they break over time. And you know, I, I don't know, I'm not partial to those. So your physical equipment, your tabletops, and your chairs important. Your floor material in your store is one of the most overlooked set, situ- like things. People get carpet and carpet always degrades. So we did carpet tiles because then we could swap in tiles and swap out tiles. But over time, you know, you end up just running out of the carpet tiles that you get. You can usually get those online pretty cheap. If you really want carpet, that's the way to go. Carpet tiles that come up and down easy. Uh, I would actually recommend ceramic tile. Really. Heavy duty ceramic tile, because floors take a beating, and gamers are hard on shit, man. Like, like nobody else. <laughs> I mean, we beat stuff. So yeah, like uh, commercial grade ceramic tile is a great flooring. And if you can if you aren't adept at installing flooring, work it out with your landlord and have them put that as part of the build out. Of you know, you know, here's a tile I want on my floor. You can even get the tile that looks like wood, whatever, you know. But just make sure your flooring is really durable. Um, you'll need a couple of display cases. I actually buy a lot of my stuff from Ikea these days. Uh, they're, they have a good, they have a good, uh, system called the Billy system, which is, you know, just a big bookcase system and they have glass doors and you can modify those into glass display cabinets for, you know, standing cabinets. But, you know, your countertop display cabinets or whatever, you can build out however you want to. But you got to have somebody with some structural knowledge, somebody who can, you know, build a, 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 a retail enterprise. You go with either grid wall or slat wall for your your walls, probably. Uh, either work, it's just a it's different look, and the material cost is roughly the same. Again, get somebody who's handy who can, you know, mount stuff to walls and knows what they're doing. If it's not you, I'm sure you have a friend who can. Um, and uh, you know it's amazing how much your friends will want to help you. Uh, a lot of your, you know, especially your gaming friends, those going to be your your first line of brand advocates and the first people who are going to you know pitch in to help you get there. And some people are really bad at asking for help. I certainly was. I didn't need it. I got it. I'm like, I'm going to do it myself, you know. But by the time I got to the bigger store, I was ready. I was like, yep, I can bring on all the help. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. You know, and, uh, you know, you you stop saying. No, it's okay. You don't want to feel like you owe anybody anything. Whatever. No, just take the help. Everyone. It's a community effort. Um, you'll need a you'll need a register system, and you'll need some way of taking money and uh, dealing with internet. Uh, you know, with credit cards. I honestly recommend for the business just starting out, just use Square. It's free. It doesn't cost you anything to get the device, and once you're charging a certain amount where let's say over a couple thousand bucks. Yeah, look at a processor that gives you better fees, but that is one of the most irritating parts of your business. You're going to get phone calls from credit card processors literally literally three times a day every day you're in business. Like <laughs> it is the most predatory business uh field or sector out there it's it's ridiculous and they all promise you a better rate so either go with a really big name even though you're going to pay a little bit more like um you know you're with your bank like us bank wells fargo somebody they're going to be reselling first data probably big deal doesn't matter use one of them because they're your local bank and they've got better customer support than any of these little rinky dink places straight up if you haven't heard their name don't get credit card processing from them it's a waste of your time and <laughs> like, it's just not worth it. And they're gonna raise the rates over time anyway. But Square is the, the great place to start because if you've got an iOS or Android device, which everybody has, you immediately are able to process credit cards. Um, uh, and uh, as far as your point of sale system and software goes, that's really up to what you want to run. There are, there are free solutions. Uh, I personally run my entire business off of um, Zen Cart and I use a product called eMagic One Store Manager that plugs right into the database and a, uh, a point of sale module made by the same company, uh, Magnetic One, eMagic One. They're they're synonymous, and that point of sale module just looks like exactly what it is—a point of sale device, but it's really transacting business on my website in real time. Uh, and that might be you know too complex for some people, but anybody with you know pretty good, pretty good computer skills can get away with that uh and uh and if not i'm sure you have a friend who's good and will uh, zen cart's open source so it's a good engine though these days i probably recommend magento um, and they also have a tool for magento the same way i don't know if they have a point of sale module though the reason why i didn't go with magento uh was because it doesn't handle high levels of SKUs, and i have you know what like fifteen thousand magic card SKUs. Mm-hmm. so i needed something that was going to not choke on that so and and zen cart does 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 the does the job
0: Great, that was, that was fantastic. That was a lot of good stuff. Cool. Cool. So other than all the things that you just mentioned, uh, what are some tools that you use throughout the day that you uh, couldn't you couldn't operate your business without? Things like uh, Twitter and Facebook and Evernote or something like that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we do use Evernote in the enterprise and we keep our business processes there. Because I have five employees, not everybody knows how to do everything. So if mm-hmm. they can just do a quick search for magic buy, you know, then they can see the process. Here's how we do it. Here's how we pay people out. Or, you know, whatever it might be, how to restock uh, singles into our system. So that way there's a step-by-step bullet point listed down for how to do a process. And I found this is particularly good for even me because I've, you know, created the business process, but I might not have done something, you know, for three months and I'm like, how did I do that? Hmm. And then you have to muddle through the steps. So it's just great to have business process documents. It's good for you. It's good for your employees. Um, And uh, Evernote's perfect for that. And then you know it syncs between all of our devices, and that's wonderful. And in that same vein, I also use Dropbox for all of our files. And this is really important for me because I'm remote a lot. I'm in the I'm in the business in the actual game store four to eight hours a week working, perhaps, and then you know I'm there playing games when I can and when I want to. But uh, I'm not. I don't have. I'm not there, you know, 70 hours like he used to be, I'm not even close, you know? Mm. Um, and so I spent a lot of my time doing administration, uh, you know, taxes, settling out, um, you know, bills with vendors, things like that. Things that's just honestly banal and boring, but have to get done and you, and you want to make sure it are done right, you know? And, uh, yeah, I have a hard time giving up control of money specifically because I mm-hmm. want to make sure the right things are happening. You know, make sure your your employees have access to, you know, you know, be able to buy the things they need for running the operations of the store, but you know, making sure you didn't get double charged for something or and that batches for your, you know, your credit cards came in like that's an important thing. Audit you definitely need to audit. And that's, again, where that Evernote comes into play. I can uh, use that as a process management for that. Um, <clears throat> but besides Dropbox uh, and Evernote, I'm now using a task management tool called Rike W-R-I-K-E. And there are a number of different tools out there like uh, Basecamp or, um, and, and uh Oh, I'm, I'm at a loss for the other ones, but I uh, used Redmine for a short while. But it's a way of kind of keeping track of uh, the things that need to happen that aren't everyday work. Uh, people will use email for that, and I can tell you that eventually a ball gets dropped somewhere, especially when you're coordinating with a bunch of people. So having a little tool that uh, I can use to manage the progress of tasks and for people to have the information in one space is, in my opinion, um, necessary. I think you need to have that tool when you're working with more than just one person. If it's you and one other person, you can probably get away with not doing something like that. Uh, and since I manage a, a large number of other software projects, I, need, I, I work in this kind of headspace already. So I'm already working with people all over the world all the time, and we have to keep track of what we're doing and communicate with each other. And communication is really one of the most key parts of a business with other people. You know? so. That's yeah. uh, those are the tools that I say that are uh, software-wise necessary for my
0: business. Yeah, cool, super fantastic. So, uh, just a quick question: How autonomous are your employees? You mentioned that you need to <laughs> let them manage quite a few things. How much? Uh, how much control do you uh, have over them, or do you kind of let them take care of things themselves?
1: So, um, I would say that I look at it like from a very high level view of I'm way back here doing all this administrative work and those guys are in the field, like they're on the battlefield physically doing the hard work of the game store. And when something either goes wrong or they, or they come across something that they can't, that's not within their expertise level, they'll punt it back to me. And then it's my job to hit that ball back. So I look at business as a game of tennis almost And when a ball comes at you, you need to hit that ball and you need to not just hit it wildly. You need to hit it back in the court to the person who needs it. You know, Mm -hmm. Uh, I'd say my employees are uh, fairly autonomous, um, especially my partners. Now uh, again, Working in uh, in business like this, you're going to come across things you've never experienced just personally. You know, like we recently had somebody come in with some um, some fake magic cards, mm-hmm. and and uh, and one of my employees, you know, how he would handle it uh, would be a little bit different than how I, I've handled it in the past. But uh, you know, the customer is kind of crabby too, and they're all like, you know, you know, they weren't they were obviously. Uh, a fraudster you know that's what they were doing was trying to defraud us of money and you know he caught that the cards were fake and was like yeah i can't buy these these ones are fake and my response would have been to simply say hey these are counterfeit cards if you're trying to sell me counterfeit cards that's a crime so what we're going to do is we're going to you know destroy the cards that are not you know not real and you're going to give me your name and cooperate with the process of doing this or i'm just going to call the police because this is a crime you know that's how i'd handle it 100 of the time Unless I didn't feel safe, you know what I mean? If I thought there was some some threat of violence. And -hmm. that's exactly what I tell my my employees. You know, if you don't feel safe, do whatever it is you need to do to feel safe. Uh, You know, because there are crazy people out there, unfortunately. Anyway, what ended up happening in that situation is, you know, the guy got pissed off, hopped, and went away. And we notified the other stores in the area. And, you know, and we sent them pictures because we have surveillance. Uh, And we're like, this guy is going to probably try to sell you some fake stuff. Just be aware, you know. And that's a perfectly fine way of handling it, too. Uh, so everybody's a little different and, um, and I don't want it to be like, uh, how would Angelo do it? But I do want them to think through, you know, maybe, um, if I was standing there, what advice do you think I'd give you, <laughs> you know, but do what you got to do. So, cause they, cause I'm ultimately not there. So, you know what I mean? And I want them to be able to have the ability to make the right decision. So it's more of a, um, uh, you know, you teach your people how to think versus just give them the answers, you know? Because that doesn't help, you know, because then you're, you're always going to get called for every single answer, and that's just not tenable, you
0: know? Yeah, it's good. methodology over conclusions.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I would say my partners are pretty pretty autonomous, um, and, they, and everybody in enterprise needs to know how to do basically everything um, that's required on their shift. So certain days have certain tasks, so we just don't schedule you on those days if you don't have those skills. Um, and and everybody has to be able to you know understand how to sell and pull and find the magic cards because there's a lot of them that's just rudimentary and my customers expect you to be able to do that um i know a lot of stores only have a buyer in at a certain time because it's specialty knowledge Uh, we have a good process we have a buy list it's not too hard as long as you can identify like i said fake cards or what edition a card comes from and grade the you know grade the condition Mm -hmm. you know you're fine so yeah
0: okay that's a Interesting side topic. Uh, how often do fake, fake cards actually come into your store?
1: Mm, obvious fakes come in the store. Uh... I would say to people trying to sell them to us. It's only happened about three or four times in my tenure of being open that at least we've caught people. Um, uh, we've had people appear with stolen collections a couple of times, and and, uh, um, and 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 we were able to actually catch people, you know, in that capacity, which is great. It's always good when you hear a story of hey, we were able to sleuth back the guy who stole this guy's cards and get him back his stuff, and mm-hmm. you know, and get everything right. And then usually the response is that guy gets banned from all of the stores cuz we, we kind of I upheld any ban. So like if any of my local stores ban a player, that guy is not welcome in my store cuz it's like that you did something wrong to the community, not to me,
0: <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm.
1: And so we all kind of have reciprocal bans and that's it's pretty rare but you know, at least once a year somebody's getting themselves banned for some period of time because they've done something stupid. You know, but our community is pretty good, you know. We're we're, we're pretty friendly and, and we watch out for each other.
0: But it does happen, right?
1: Oh yeah, it does. Because somebody, it's risk versus rewards, you know. And sometimes it's not just risk versus reward; it's risk versus reward and desperation, you know. So, you yeah. know, some situations aren't very good. I get it, but uh, yeah. And they learn. And it's funny. One of my uh, one of my friends, Jason Webster, he owns um, a couple of stories out here. He he says hundred percent of the time, a magic player comes back if they've stolen something or they cheated or whatever. But one hundred percent of the time, they come back. It's just it's going to be a little while they have to, like, have their pride kind of beat up and they get known for what happened. And But everybody's generally willing to forgive them over time, you know, especially if they've kind of, you know, taken the time to think and they have a good attitude about, you know, reentering the community. So,
0: you know, yeah, and magic's a hard habit to quit, even if you are oh, banned.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, man, is it ever? <laughs> it's,
0: a, it's a good one, too. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like it's a crack.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It, it, well, I mean, if you enjoy the time doing what you're doing, it doesn't really matter. You know, that's what people – you hear people say, you know, do something you love, do something you love, do something you love. So that's why a lot of people want, I think, to, to own a game store because they love games. Um, then I would say that what you really need to love is resource management games and facilitating because that's what a game store is. You know, it's those two things. It's not it's not making mad profit and playing lots of games. That's some fantasy ideal. <laughs> yeah, that's
0: not exactly how it plays out. Yeah. Yeah, you also have to love being a host.
1: Yes, absolutely
0: you do. Oh, yeah. Because I found yep. that that's something that uh, I think the best tournament organizers and game store owners have is that it's almost like, oh, come, welcome to my game store. My, You're coming into my home and I'm going to take care of you.
1: Yep, yep. And we're going to share experiences and you know, be friends. That's kind of how it goes. Mm-hmm. So I want to wrap in the next five or so because i got to get off to another meeting.
0: Yeah, I was um, thinking about during, that too. Uh, We've been going for quite a while.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So
0: let's skip to the end. What's, what's in store for Universe Games in the near future? What are your uh, upcoming plans?
1: Oh, boy. So um, uh, last month, I kind of took a look at my enterprise and said, what is, you know, where do I want us to get to? And one of the things I want us to get to is I realized that we have a deficiency of female game players, Um, And this has become kind of a prerogative for me to, to make the space more friendly to female gamers. And I'm not trying to be sexist with it, but I'm just doing re- looking at a rec- you know recognizing going you know what we got one in ten game players is 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 female, but I know the numbers are more represented, especially in board gaming, it's more like three out of ten. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, and I go, what about the environment would make it more or less inviting, right? Um, and also, how can I make this more of a social space that's more balanced? It's not so much specifically like oh I want women gamers in here, it's I just want more of a balance. I want more of a more of a you know average experience out in the world. When you go out in the world, men and women are out there. So 50, 50, give or take. Yeah, exactly. So let's make it a little bit more even in here and, and try to facilitate that. It's not just a, a, you know, a guy's sport or a guy's hobby and, you know, a boy's club kind of thing. Um, uh, and don't get me wrong. I get that there's a huge number of men that play games and that's just, that's, that's the market sector. I, I get it. But, um, so we've been shifting towards, uh, kind of, we changed out all our tables to cafe style tables um we just we did our floors make make it a little nicer like we're just upgrading our interior a bit making it a little fresher not so grungy gamer grungy mm-hmm. um uh another thing i'm looking to do which has been done before and has been and has been successfully implemented in a number uh, of stores across the nation. Is I'm actually looking to put in a little, you know, at like a little coffee bar, like a little, make it a little bit more social in that capacity, and then also open up our games library to being just out on a shelf, physically available for people to grab. So we're going to move towards the, you know, gaming cafe kind of attitude. Mm-hmm. Like all the same products we carry, all the same events, all the same customers, but we're looking to add things that will draw in new types of customers and then also instead of just carrying games we're looking at expanding into some more just general geek culture kind of paraphernalia items you know you know doctor who products things that we love already you know uh you know some a little apparel maybe not a great huge amount of stuff and it's it's about being a little wider you can't be too wide there's no reason to be but if we widen the, the variety of like, hey, yeah, that's the place where people who are a little cerebral, uh, a little, you know, like games, um, you know, a little geek culture, all that mixed together, and we're in a very great place part of town we're in a very hip neighborhood you know not to put it that way but you know mm-hmm. we've got a lot of people between 20 and 30 in our neighborhood and a lot of people who love sci-fi fantasy um uh you know on all of this parts of the culture and i would like to facilitate a place for them to be even if they're not going to play a game you know yeah come have a cup of coffee hang out we're gonna do a movie night maybe you know with the space once we were normally closed in that same genre you know and we're just trying to increase it. We're actually running a comedy show on Sundays after we close. We had a couple of people come, and, uh, come in and approach us because we have a really good location. And they said, hey, what about running a free comedy show? What do you feel about that? And I was like, okay, let me think about it. And I'm like, yeah, we can make that work. So we're drawing these new people in that have nothing to do with our business necessarily, but they want to be in this area. Like, So they probably lean towards that sci-fi, fantasy, you know, gaming, nerd culture a little bit. And they feel very comfortable in our space. Uh, and, and, and since really a game store is basically a big box and you have a bunch of tables, you just move the tables out and now you have, you know, a place to be. People are there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I know it's kind of a random thing, but I'm leaning towards just adapting my store very much to the neighborhood that it's in for everybody, not just, just this, you know, very specific hardcore gamer or Euro gamer aspect, because as I reduce the barrier entry to come into my door my audience is going to get wider and more people are going to get exposed to these wonderful games. And this, in this wonderful, I'd say, you know, social fraternity of, you mm. know, games as a way to pass time.
0: That's a great way to put it.
1: And that's uh that's the big long, the long view.
0: <laughs> great. Okay. Uh, so tell us where any listeners uh, can find you in real life and online, and then, uh, we'll say goodbye.
1: Absolutely. Okay. Sure. Sure. Um so we're located right in the heart of Minneapolis, uh in uptown uh Lake and Lindale, which are two very busy intersections, um uh or busy streets, excuse me. Um you can find us on the web at universegames.com. Everything we sell is available on the site, including our magic singles. We have a buy list there. If you like to sell magic singles, please, please send them to us. We'll happily buy them, (laughs) you know. We we love that stuff absolutely. Um, uh, you can find our event calendar. So if you're local, check it out. If you're not local and you're just coming through Minneapolis anytime, come by. I think we're one of the better stores in the area. Uh, uh, not to say that, uh, like I said, my friends they all run great stores. We all have good stores there. Um, but in my neighborhood, we we definitely represent all all tiers of gaming. Uh, you uh, you can find us on Facebook. Definitely, we don't use Twitter too much. You know, it's not really kind of been our it's been our thing. Um, I'd say that's a personal weakness on my part, but, uh, you definitely can find us on Facebook and engage us there. And, um, sometime in the future, hopefully look for a game authored by Michelangelo Russo, myself, uh, and, uh, and a Kickstarter to come. Uh, I, will I'll pass back that link information when I finally get to it.
0: Great. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for yeah. coming on. And if, uh, I'm ever down in Minnesota, I would love to stop into your store and say hi.
1: Thank you for, uh, the time Thomas and for, uh, doing what you're doing in, in the community. And have a great day, okay? Yeah, you too. Cheers. Bye. Bye.
0: I hope you enjoyed that interview with Michael Russo. I know I sure did. If you're looking for more info about game store entrepreneurship and the magic community, you should really check out ManaverseSaga.com. of the Manaverse podcast, this is where we talk about tips and tactics you can use to grow your local community and your business. From there, you can learn more about Manaverse.com and sign up to get early access as a beta tester. We're currently looking for GameStar owners and Magic players to help work out the kinks and give us some honest feedback about what we see as the best tool to take Magic into the future. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe to the Manaverse podcast on iTunes and leave a review. Sharing this episode is also a great way to help the show. Every reviewer will get a shout-out on an upcoming episode. As always, thanks for listening.